Hey folks, Andy Patton here, joined by special guest Kevin Sweeney of Sports Illustrated. Kevin and I are going to preview this epic Saturday morning matchup between Gonzaga and Texas Tech. All right here, Locked on Zags. Don't go away. You are Locked on Zags, your daily podcast on the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. What is going on, y'all? Welcome to the Locked On Zags podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I am your host and longtime Gonzaga podcaster, Andy Patton, ready to take you through another season of Gonzaga hoops. Today's episode is brought to you by NetSuite. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system to power your growth. Head to netsuite.com slash locked on NCAA for special end of the year financing on the number one financial system for growing businesses. Thank you all for making this podcast your first listen of the day. We got a super special one today. We're joined by Kevin Sweeney. Kevin writes for Sports Illustrated. He co-hosts the excellent College Basketball Central podcast at CBB underscore Central. You can also find him on Twitter at the same name. Kevin, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm excited about this. I'm excited to get into the Gonzaga-Texas Tech game, uh, what those matchups are going to look like. Before we talk about that, though, you recently produced a really great piece on Coppin State about the challenges of small market programs and kind of what the, you know, the the side of college basketball and college athletics that, that not everybody sees. You know, people watch Alabama football, they watch Gonzaga basketball or Duke basketball and maybe don't think about some of those schools that are barely scraping by. And I, I'm somebody, I worked at the University of Portland and I worked at Seattle U in their athletic departments. And those departments are still significantly bigger than what you're seeing at places like Coppin State. But I'm wondering for people who who haven't read that piece, if you could talk a little bit about it and kind of maybe what inspired you to, to go out there and write that piece. Yeah, I mean, I think, first of all, you mentioned like Portland or Seattle or something like that. You know, <laughs> if you think of D1 as kind of a sliding scale, right? The yeah. most resource program would be Kentucky or Duke or somewhere in that vicinity. Uh, you know, somewhere close to 358 would be Coppin State, the least resource, <laughs> their bottom five in budget. You know, they play all these buy games to get by and, mm-hmm. you know, everyone, you know, Seattle and Portland would be somewhere in probably the 200s, I would venture. Yep. I mean, maybe Portland a little better, you know, Seattle probably a little worse, but, you know, something mm-hmm. in that vicinity. So, you know, I, I, it actually came about, I was, you know, I'm in Chicago, that's where I'm based and you know, I wasn't going to go to Champions Classic on opening night. That was really the only big game and saw that Coppin State was playing Loyola, so they're playing DePaul the next night. I said, you know, that's pretty interesting. There might be a, might be a story here and unfortunately mm-hmm. build, build a connection with, with their program and, you know, they gave me great access and it be, it went from kind of a cool kind of human interest one week story to a month plus project that, that we worked on. And, you know, I'm, I'm pleased with, with how it came out. Essentially, I mean, these, these, this team has played, they played 13 games in the first 30 days of the season. They played 10 and 19 days, four and five days at one point. Um, and, and virtually all of those are, are by games. Those are games that you're getting $80,000, $100,000 to play and, you know, try to fund your athletic department, not just the men's basketball team, but, you know, they go out and they try to make somewhere on the order of $750,000. And obviously some of that goes to the travel to play those games themselves, but some of that goes to the team paying salaries, et cetera. But some of that goes to, you know, the soccer team and, and the bowling team and, and everything mm-hmm. trickles down. I mean, they have a $4 million budget, give or take it for, for their whole athletic department. That's what a pretty well-paid college basketball coach makes it at, at the biggest levels of, of college. Yeah. That's like a Chris Beard salary. So it, it's pretty remarkable. And, you know, just, I, I thought it was, it was valuable to try to let people understand what, how the other half lives in, in college hoops. And 
not everyone, not everyone's going to do it exactly like Coppin State has to, but you know, the, their life looks a little bit more like that than it does like Duke Kentucky. And it's been great getting all the kind of outpouring of support from people who've played at Coppin State or, you know, played in HBCU or, or coached it there and said, man, like you would not believe some of the stories I've had to tell, I could tell you. So it's been cool. I, I, I'm glad that we were able to pull it off and, and, you know, try to educate people on what college basketball looks like beyond what you think about on a day-to-day basis. Yeah. Well, I think what, what I liked about the piece is that I hope that for some people who read it, it kind of shines a light on, on not just treating these schools as kind of jokes or punching bags. For Gonzaga, obviously, uh, much of the criticism that has been levied against this program for the last 20 years is about their strength of schedule, mostly re- related to conference play specifically, of course. But but when they schedule non-conference games against Texas Southern or against other HBCUs or SWAC schools, they they get they, you, you hear more of that criticism because people are like, well, you know, they're going to play Portland and Pepperdine in conference and now they're playing you know, Alcorn State in non-conference. And I think it's unfair to treat those schools that way. I obviously understand that strength of schedule matters and it's important when looking at a resume for the NCAA tournament and and all of that. But it's I think it's it's a great opportunity for these schools. It's cool for for programs like Gonzaga and Duke and Kentucky to to you know help these programs out in a lot of ways uh, and get a get a game on their schedule and for these kids to get a chance to play in the kennel or play at Cameron or Rupp or wherever is, is I think it just seems like a win-win for everybody. And I, I, I hope that this article for people who read it, if you haven't, I will post a link to it. You can follow Kevin on Twitter. You'll see the link there. Uh, it, it, I hope it shines a light on, on, like you said, the other side and kind of why they play these games, why these schools, you know, go out and play tough competition like this and how it's kind of something that should be celebrated as opposed to kind of made fun of in, in a way that some people do. Right. And I think, you know, it goes beyond just playing that individual game, right? It'd be one thing if you were going and playing, you know, in your compensate, you'll play against Aggie, you're a 40-point underdog, like compensate right. was against UConn. That that mm-hmm. itself would be its own challenge that people would make fun of. But what you might right. not realize is that the Coppin State, you know, they so they played UConn on a Saturday at noon. They mm-hmm. played at Ryder in New Jersey, about a three-hour drive from UConn, on a Friday night at 7. So the game <laughs> finished at 9. They packed up the bus. They hopped on the, on the road. They got in mm-hmm. a little past midnight. They woke up the next morning and they played another game. And – you know, it's crazy. It's, it's not glamorous. It's not fun. I actually got a DM from someone who was on a staff at staff of compensate several years ago that said they were doing a, a three games in three days thing. And they got to one of the hotels and there had been a mistake in, in, in the rooms. And so they slept in the lobby. I mean, like these these are the <laughs> things that, that these programs go through. And again, compensate is probably the extreme example of it. You know, there are there are a few programs out there probably comparable them. But most are in a little bit better shape than, than what Coppin does. But, you know, there, there's always a, a deeper story there beyond just. Okay, here's here here is the final score, and we lost, and we had a cool opportunity to get exposure on it on a big stage. Absolutely. Well, we're not we're not talking about small market schools uh, for Saturday's game, of course. Gonzaga, Texas Tech. Gonzaga has far exceeded that label uh, as a small market school, and Texas Tech, of course, uh, one of the bigger bigger schools out there. Uh, I want to start talking about the Red Raiders before we get into Gonzaga and what this matchup could really look like, because I think it's a really really fun game, uh, a game that. I see Texas Tech as a team that has a lot of strengths that seem to uh, correlate with some of Gonzaga's weaknesses, um, which could make it a, a really interesting contest, particularly when looking at the fact that the Zags have struggled in their last three games and have been off for over a week now because of a COVID situation with the University of Washington. Um, can we? Can you just talk a little bit about like some key players for Texas Tech and, and some guys that I think uh, maybe Gonzaga fans might not be super familiar with and, and what this team might look like uh, on, on Saturday? Yeah, I mean, they're, they're very athletic. 
and and they're old. I think those are the two things that, that really stand out when you look at them. You know, their rotation is junior, junior, senior, 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 senior. Like it's it's an old group, and uh, mm-hmm. a lot of them are, are transfers. You know, Mark Adams, their new head coach, was longtime top assistant for Chris Beard, and was the architect of that defense, which you know swarmed mm-hmm. around and obviously led Texas Tech to you know tremendous success. I think obviously it starts with with Terrence Shannon, who you might be familiar with if you're just kind of a general college basketball fan. He's an NBA prospect. He was in the in the draft last year. Went through the process last second, decided you know, he'd come back to school, and that's been huge for them because he's six foot six. He's super athletic. He can handle the basketball. He can get to the rim. You know, he, he's a big time, big time shot maker and big time playmaker for for this team. Not a great shooter, but good enough to pass and mm-hmm. pass by. And you know they they knew he would be the centerpiece, and I think they were trying to figure out who could who who would be able to shoot the ball and, and score the ball around him. And I think three guys who've really stepped up in that regard are. Are Davion Warren, who's a transfer from Hampton, who's a you know big time scorer. Uh, Bryson Williams, who came in from uh, from from UTEP, began his career at Fresno State. He's a guy who can he's like a true low post big man, but he can stretch the floor a little bit. He 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 was one of those guys that when you saw him at the portal, you knew he could play at any level. And you know Texas Tech was was fortunate to land him. And then finally, the name I think a lot of people would be familiar with because of March Madness, Kevin O'Banner from uh, from from Oral Roberts. He came in. You know, went went through the draft process, decided he wanted to go to the portal, uh, and wound up with with Texas Tech. And he's been, he, I think, a little bit underwhelming, given how well he shot the ball last year. Not super efficient, but he's a very good rebounder, and uh, he can he can really stroke it from deep when he gets going. So that's really, I think, the the nucleus of this Tech team. They've had a solid start to the year, you know, really light light non con in the first month, and. It's turned the heat has turned up lately, and you know I think they got tested. They they learned a lot about themselves. We lost to Providence, and that's I think parlayed itself into more success the last couple of weeks. Well, that's what that's what people are hoping is going to happen for Gonzaga here. Obviously, they 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 blew the doors off Texas, which I think is a game that a lot of people are looking at because of the Chris Beard connection, because they run a similar defense. And I think for me, what I'm curious about is. You know, we talked about this kind of goofy, no middle defense that that Chris Beard kind of has always run and ran at Texas, and it did not work at all. Drew Timmy had 37 points in that game. They got the ball to him with with relative ease. Uh, and I'm curious if Tech if Tech is running a similar strategy. If you know, my assumption with with the Longhorns at least was that they were really they hadn't jailed yet they had a really new roster ton of transfers a lot of young guys new coach obviously and it felt like they weren't quite prepared to run that style i'm guessing that's not going to be the case with tech but uh you you know as somebody who's seen them has who's watched what they do defensively um i'm curious what you think about that kind of strategy in general and how it might work against gonzaga yeah i mean i think the month-long gap between those two games being played i think matters significantly Mm -hmm. i mean texas tech Adams is the architect of that defense, but this is a very new roster full of transfers mm-hmm. who weren't in that system. I think it took them some time, and they were fortunate, I think, by playing such a light early non-con where they could work out the Kings from still in by 25. You know, and I think that's, mm-hmm. you know, I think that's something that, that at this point they're a little bit more comfortable in. They really fly around. I think that's the other thing is I think Texas in game two is still kind of learning how hard you have to play to play mm-hmm. in that defense and be super successful in it, and I think, this Texas Tech team is a little bit grittier, a little bit, you know, some guys who weren't, you know, you know, silver spoon college athletes, right? I mean, you think about the guys at Texas, these are stars that they were getting integrated together. These, a lot of the, these guys, even the transfers, quite frankly, weren't, you know, superstars at their level or they were at a lower level. So, 
you know, I think I think Texas Tech's defense will cause more problems for mm-hmm. uh, Gonzaga than, than Texas did. I also think that the personnel is a little different. They're a little bit longer. They're a little bit deeper on the interior. Um, and I think that that helped. That, that, that certainly showed against Tennessee. I think we'll see some mm-hmm. similarities in Gonzaga. All right. Thank you, Kevin, for helping us educate about Texas Tech. I know a lot of Gonzaga fans uh, try to watch as many games as they can, but especially with Texas Tech not playing a lot of competitive games early in the season, I'm not sure how much everybody has seen them. So this was very helpful. We're going to look at this matchup against the Zags on Sunday, on Saturday, excuse me, more about uh, individual one-on-one matchups and how that might shake out. Before we get there, though, let's talk about today's sponsor, NetSuite. This is it, the putt to win the tournament. If you sink it, the championship is yours. But on your backswing, your hat falls over your eyes. Is this how you're running your business? Poor visibility because you're still relying on spreadsheets and outdated finance software? To see the full picture, you need to upgrade to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system out there to power your company's growth. With visibility and control of your finances, inventory, HR needs, planning, budgeting, and more, NetSuite is everything you need to grow as a company all in one convenient location. NetSuite lets you automate your processes and close your books in no times, while keeping you ahead of your competition. In fact, 93% of businesses surveyed increased their visibility and control after upgrading to NetSuite. Over 27,000 businesses already use NetSuite, and right now, through the end of the year, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind financing program to those ready to upgrade at netsuite.com slash NCAA. Head to netsuite.com slash NCAA for special end-of-the-year financing on the number one financial system for growing businesses, netsuite.com slash NCAA. Today's episode is also brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online is back and better than ever. Bet Online has a new web interface for the start of the NBA and college basketball seasons and features more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet Online remains your number one spot for all of the basketball and football action this season. Head to our new updated desktop or mobile website to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code LOCKED ON to receive your bonus. From basketball, football, NHL, boxing, and UFC, right to your favorite Vegas casino games. Don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all of your favorite sports. All right, segment two, still Andy Patton, still locked on Zach, still talking with Kevin Sweeney of Sports Illustrated, and we're still previewing the Gonzaga versus Texas Tech game on Saturday, another matchup of two top 25 teams after Tech snuck into the rankings in part because of their win over Tennessee. So with Gonzaga, we've seen more than I can remember in the last couple of years, some pretty significant flaws crop up over the last couple of games. Now, Mark Few has been screaming as much as he can that he thought this team would struggle early on. And I think one of the biggest kind of, it was almost a, a not a blessing and that they won so handily against Texas and UCLA because it really skyrocketed the expectations for this program. You have a three-point loss to Duke, which is by no means a bad loss, but still stung a little bit. Then you have the Tarleton State game and the Alabama game too. For different reasons, pretty significant struggles for this program. Uh, I see a handful of flaws with this team, but the two that stand out the most to me are poor outside shooting and turnovers from their guards. I'm curious, in terms of playing Texas Tech specifically, which of those two issues do you think is more important for Gonzaga to try to rein in, and how how do you think Texas Tech could potentially try to exploit them and secure a victory? 
I mean, ball security is huge against Texas Tech, against Mark Adams. I mean, the way that the way that they scramble around, you're just never comfortable. And I think we've seen Gonzaga not just in these last two games, but the last couple of years, you know, mm-hmm. them struggle a little bit when you face a team that's big, long, and athletic mm-hmm. and at the highest level, right? And I think Texas Tech has the that personnel to be a bear plus the scheme that I think is is challenging. I think they're top ten in turnover rate on Ken Palm. Mm-hmm. Not mistaken, our twentieth. Okay, so that's you know still it's still right up there. They're nearly twenty five percent of their possessions. They're forcing turnovers. It's, you know, they're they're impressive on that end, that end of the floor. And I think you know for Gonzaga, I relatively trust Nemhard in, in in moments mm-hmm. like this, just because he's been through it. I think you know where where, where the other two guards really need to step in, obviously with with Bolton and, and Strother and mm-hmm. uh, in the starting lineup, but also think Hickman and, and to a lesser extent Salas off the bench. I mean, there's just you, you have to be strong with the basketball because they're going to be physical mm-hmm. with you. They're going to get arms in passing lanes and, you know, just make you uncomfortable. And I think you just need, mm-hmm. you need really, you really need confident guards out there. And I think if you don't come in valuing the basketball, it's going to be a long night. Absolutely. And I think, you know, you, you can bet that Mark Adams and every player on that team has watched highlights of the Gonzaga Baylor game. If they haven't watched it all the way through, because Baylor, more than any other team, really, really exposed Gonzaga's struggles. And obviously the roster is different. That happened last season. There's no Joel Eiei, no Jalen Suggs, no Corey Kispert. But Duke basically did the exact same thing and had success. And then Tarleton State, who is a you know a smaller program, a program that people wouldn't have expected to hang with the Zags, managed to do that in part because of the physicality that they showed out away from the rim. For me, it seems so obvious to Gonzaga's best offensive players drew Timmy and, and Chet Holmgren is a great offensive player as well, particularly around the rim and teams have figured out that, Hey, the best way to stop them is to not let them get the basketball. And the best way to not let them get the basketball is to harass the heck out of the guards as soon as they get across half court. And I'm waiting for Gonzaga to make an adjustment. I don't know what that adjustment will be, but it seems like they haven't figured out a way to successfully kind of power through that pressure, especially when they, the teams are playing are long and physical, like Texas Tech will be, like Duke was, like Alabama was. And, and you can't just give the ball to Chet Holmgren as soon as you cross half court and just kind of hope that it works from there. I don't think that that's necessarily the most efficient way. But at the end of the day, like until this team figures out a way to handle that pressure, they're going to be in for a long night. Yeah, I agree. And I think one potential way you could maybe mitigate this is, I don't think we saw this against Duke. When, when, when Gonzaga gets in kind of scramble mode, one of the things they did mm-hmm. well was they get Timmy the ball right at the at the high post or even at the top mm-hmm. of the key. And then, you know, if the defense is lifted, you just back cut, back cut to death. And if not, mm-hmm. then Timmy tries to take a one-on-one drive. And he's actually mm-hmm. gotten pretty good at, at taking guys off the bounce one-on-one into a post-up or even in just into a straight, you know, go up strong and, and draw a foul or, or go score. So I think mm-hmm. you know, that that's that's an option, I think. You know, Texas Tech's bigs are, are pretty mobile and, and intelligent. Not that, you know, Mark, Mark Williams for Duke wasn't. Not that right. John Wachachua at Baylor. Not like, uh, you know, obviously going back to you know, or, or the Alabama game with you mm-hmm. know, guys like uh, John Gary. Like, it, it's not like those guys weren't. But I think Texas mm-hmm. Tech's bigs are like, relatively well equipped to handle that. But I still think that's a, a good strategy for Gonzaga to try to deploy at least is try yeah. to make Texas Tech's aggression beat them and trust your – your veteran and Timmy to make good decisions because if they're going to blitz them hard at the, at the top of the key or they blitz them across half court and force everyone to play either four and three or four and four, I like Timmy's chances as long as you can get it to get it, get it into his hand. I think the other guys, you yeah. don't trust them quite as much. 
Absolutely. Uh, switching over to Gonzaga defensively and kind of what this game might look like for them. I, I've been <laughs> frustrated for people who've been listening to the show uh, because one of the things we saw from Gonzaga early in the season was a lot of aggression around the perimeter uh, from their guards defensively. You know, Andrew Nempard and Rasir Bolton, I don't know that either of them are elite defensive guards, but they were playing better than they have historically because they were playing a lot with a lot more pressure. Hunter Salas, Anton Watson, very, very good defensive players on the perimeter. Julian Strother, a player that has surprised me with his defensive chops. And and then we kind of saw Gonzaga pull away from that a little bit, particularly against Alabama, where they seemed to be playing very reactive defensively and kind of letting Alabama do what they wanted to do on offense. For a team that has one of the best rim protectors in the country, it strikes me as surprising that they wouldn't play really aggressive on the perimeter. If you get beat on a back cut, if a guy manages to get around you, you still have an extra layer of protection in Chet Holmgren. Yes, Drew Timmy's not quite the shot blocker that Chet Holmgren is, but he's he's proven better on that end of the floor than he was in his first two seasons. And for me, based on what I know about tech, and I'm kind of hoping that you can uh, shed some light on this as well, it seems like if Gonzaga lets them get into their offensive sets, they're going to run into some of the similar problems that they ran into against Alabama. Yeah, I think that's possible. I think the one thing I will say with Alabama versus Tech is Alabama plays two to three point guards on the floor at any given time. Mm -hmm. John Quinterly, J.D. Davison. I mean, those guys are outstanding handling in basketball. Mm -hmm. Texas Tech doesn't really play with a true point guard, and they're only one that I guess you would consider one, and Mylik Wilson won't play in this game. He's banged up. Still waiting on like an official timetable there, but but they won't have Malik, and he 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 was valuable in those those situations. So, you know, they're using Kevin McCuller, who for his first two years was like a glue guy wing as a as a as a point guard. And the thing that I saw with Texas Tech against Providence certainly, but also against Tennessee was, you know, when you force them to play in the half court, and, and Providence actually zoned them with a great deal of success. Texas Tech offense looked really kind of confused mm-hmm. as to what they should be doing. Again, they've had more time. You'd expect that as the right. season goes on, they're going to get more comfortable. But I, I don't necessarily believe strongly in this Texas Tech half-court offense when they can't kind of bully their opponent. And there are maybe some matchups where they're going to try, right? I think, mm-hmm. you know, Shannon's probably going to mind up matched up with Strother. And Strother's, you know, a, a good-sized wing. But but Shannon, I mean, you'll, you'll see him when he gets on the court. I mean, he has <laughs> – you know, quads that are just gigantic. Yeah. And I think there will be some opportunity where Texas Tech just tries to go you know, in semi-transition, just attack one-on-one opportunities and go to the rim. Because his team, they have shooting, but I think if if you're Gonzaga, it would be a win if Texas Tech shot 28, 33s in this game. Mm-hmm. I think that would be a win in, in my mind if, if I was Mark Few. So I think that's the real big difference is that they don't have the the playmakers off the bounce that are going to really scare you and then distribute off of those plays. I think that's the, the, the really critical thing. Like once the help comes, you know, I don't trust Ch- Terrence Shannon to, to dump it off to a, a dunker spot big the way that I trusted, say, J.D. Davison or trusted um, Javon Quinterly. So I think that's where I would stand. I think, you know, they're, they're certainly a talented team off- offensively. They have a lot of guys who have, have led their team in scoring in previous, uh, in previous destinations in college hoops. Uh, but but not quite the ball handling prowess. And I think that's something that, that could help Gonzaga in this game. All right, folks, still more to discuss with Kevin Sweeney before the big game on Saturday morning. But before we get there, let's talk about Built Bar. Built Bar is the best tasting protein bar ever, plain and simple. It's a protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. Built Bar has nine delicious flavors, including some all-time favorites like raspberry, mint brownie, peanut butter brownie, coconut, and my personal favorite, salted caramel. Of course, Built Bar is not only great tasting, they are healthy too. 
Most Bill Bar flavors have 17 grams of protein, 130 calories, and only four grams of sugar. Nine amazing flavors, all tasty and all healthy. Go to BuiltBar.com now and use promo code LOCK15 and you'll get 15% off your first order. That's BuiltBar.com, promo code LOCK15 for 15% off your first order. All right, segment three, still Andy Patton, still locked on Zags, still talking with Kevin Sweeney. We're going to pivot away from talking about the Gonzaga-Texas Tech game, talk a little bit more about college hoops in general, most notably the fact that similar to, I remember this really strongly in the 2012-2013 season, which was the first year Gonzaga was ever ranked number one. Uh, It's kind of been one of those seasons where it almost seems like nobody wants that spot. Uh, There's been a lot of teams that have kind of transitioned out of that spot. Uh, It's mid-December, so it's probably a little too early to make super sweeping judgments about how March is going to go. We know that it's early March is still too early to know how March is going to go with the way that um, college hoops goes. But I'm curious, uh, having watched a lot of games this year, who who those which of those teams that have kind of vied for that number one spot uh, are you thinking are, are going to have the best chance of hoisting that trophy at the end of the year? Yeah, I mean, I think this year to me, there's six or seven teams at the top that are relatively interchangeable in their their combination of talent level, coaching, chemistry, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And again, that can change as the season goes on, but. You know, I think last year it was pretty. Con- I was pretty confident it was Gonzaga and Baylor and everybody else. And, and right now mm-hmm. it doesn't feel that way. I think you know, Gonzaga's in that conversation. I think Baylor's certainly in that conversation. The way that they play, they're incredible on defense. They're playing. You know, they, they have incredible size and athleticism. They've been really impressive. I, I saw Arizona last week in at, at, in Champaign against Illinois. That was a really entertaining atmosphere, but also mm-hmm. really impressive game for for Arizona because you really you know that you were sitting there thinking, okay, well. Every option that Arizona had on its pregame kind of scouting report, like mm-hmm. Illinois generally took away, and Arizona still find a way. Found a way to win it, and they're just, they're really good. They're athletic, they're talented, they're well coached. Obviously, Tommy Lloyd doing a great job. So, I think they're in that conversation. I think Purdue is is in that conversation. Uh, I think Kansas will be in that conversation. They're taking a little bit of time, but Agbaji's just been special. You know, maybe and Duke, I think, would also. I think that would be true if you ask me. What's tier one in college basketball? Would be those those teams right now. Yeah, I think it's been it's been really fun to see. Kind of, for the most part, it hasn't changed too much. Obviously, Arizona is kind of the most recent addition to that group, and obviously, Gonzaga fans are somewhat conflicted uh, because we love Tommy Lloyd. We've loved him forever. He was obviously assistant coach at Gonzaga for so long, and now he's he's having this a ton of success early on, but with Arizona, a team that has beat Gonzaga multiple times and had this kind of intense rivalry with, but I, I can't tell you how excited I would be if the the one and two seeds out in the West were Gonzaga and Arizona. And if those two teams got a chance to, to battle it out, I know they canceled their game. Um, obviously once Tommy took that job, because they didn't want to, you know, I think that's pretty common to cancel that game when something like that happens, but uh looks like there's still a decent chance they'd face each other in March. And I, I think that would be an incredible, incredible game. Yeah, outstanding. I mean, some of the challenges that Gonzaga has dealt with with big athletes mm-hmm. would, would be present with Arizona. But look, mm-hmm. I think obviously the, the there's a lot of you know, shared blood there, not just yeah. the position, but also support staffers and yeah. you know, friends. I mean, the, the business, the way it works. I mean, there's just, you know, the people that Tommy Lloyd's connected with are generally the people that Mark Few's connected with. And so it would be emotional. It would be incredibly cool because I think it's two of the best teams in, in college basketball. Right. I'd love to see the matchup, whether it's you know an Elite Eight, a Final Four, a National Championship game. I mean, that'd be really high-level basketball. 
I, I don't know if Gonzaga fans, I think we'd start to turn on our friend Rem Bakamis if he beat the Zags twice in a row in the NCAA tournament, of course, graduate assistant at Baylor last year and now working for Arizona. I think we might, like, he's my friend, I know him, and I, I think I might have to I have to give him the silent treatment for a little bit if that were to happen, because I don't know if we could handle could handle him beating us two years in a row. Uh, Kevin, the, the, one of the last things I wanted to talk about here, um, the knock on Gonzaga has been forever and ever and ever the, the strength of the WCC, of course, that has always been the kind of the talking point. It's sort of gone away as people have started to accept that, hey, Gonzaga is not uh, only getting these top seeds because they're, you know, they're beating up on the WCC. They're legitimately good and people are starting to come around on that. But something else that has been happening that is is maybe not known to too many people outside of the real college basketball junkies is the WCC is good. Like they're legitimately good. We saw some really hot starts from a lot of programs. A couple of them have kind of faded. Santa Clara's struggled a little bit after their hot start. LMU didn't quite do what people had hoped they would do this season. But at the end of the day, we're we're in mid-December and they look very legitimately like a conference that could put four teams in the NCAA tournament. Um, I know you're not necessarily a bracketologist, um, but I'm curious if you have thoughts on 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 those three other teams. Of course, that's BYU, St. Mary's, and the University of San Francisco, one of the few undefeated teams remaining in the country. I'm curious if you think that this could legitimately be a four-bid conference uh, for what would be the first time, I think, ever, at least in a very, very long time. You know, I, th- I think there's a path to four. My, my personal hunch would be that the three is probably the most likely mm-hmm. situation. And mm-hmm. I think if you said, what are the odds of, of two versus what are the odds of four, I think it'd probably be about even. Um, yeah. You know, BYU has, has regressed a little bit. Obviously, the, the great start, the Oregon win doesn't look quite as good as it used to. But I think the same thing for St. Mary's. I mean, St. Mary's goes to Maui. I was in, I was in that, you know, building for, for those games mm-hmm. and very impressive. You know, they're, they're very well schooled. Obviously they're experienced, but you know, I don't think they're by any means a lock. I think San Francisco, mm-hmm. you know, they've got some work to do in, in the rest of their non-con. They play good teams, but you know, the limits of how you can schedule when you're San Francisco is, is challenging. Right. They're not going to get you know, good teams. Aren't going to want to buy them, but you know, if you play only bad teams, you're not going to get that large. So it's like, what do you right. do? And they've done a nice job of trying to trying to you know mess around the margins. Obviously, Todd, Todd Golden and their whole staff is very analytically minded. So you know, I trust that their their metrics will be good. The question is, they have the wins. Obviously, they'll get the opportunities. I think that's the, the the saving grace really for all all four of those teams is that at minimum you'll have those you know th- six games yep. against the other three teams that will be you know valuable. But also, you know, maybe. You know, good chance, I would say, Loyola Marymount's at least a, a Q2 road game. Maybe it sneaks yeah. Q1. Maybe they want up top 75. Same thing with Santa Clara. Q2, small chance, maybe Q1. You know, that that's valuable stuff. And it's it's all around the margins. But if you can say you played, you know, 10, let's say, Q1 plus Q2 conference games or eight even, that'd be, you know, certainly putting yourself on a higher standard than, you know, other you know, quote-unquote mid-major leagues. And I think that's all you could really ask for. So, that would certainly help BYU, San Francisco, St. Mary's in, in their hopes of getting in. I think they have a real opportunity to. I think I would bet on three if I had to right now. But, you know, I, I don't think four is out of the question by any means. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm right in the same boat. I think three seems like the most likely outcome for me. I'm hoping that San Francisco sneaks in just so that it's different for the first time in a long time. I don't think a team not named BYU, St. Mary's, or Gonzaga has made the tournament since 2008 when San Diego upset Gonzaga in the WCC championship game. Uh, USF certainly strikes me as a team that nobody would want to face in March because of that analytically mindedness, because they have, for me, like experienced 
talented guards always seems to be a good recipe for success, even for smaller market schools. And for a, a guy like Jamari Bouye, who is an absolute stud, averaging 20 a game, five, I think five boards, four assists, just an absolute animal. I'm really excited to see the Gonzaga San Francisco games. I, I said this on a podcast recently, like if I had to trade Gonzaga losing at War Memorial to USF, if that's what gets the Dons in the tournament, I'm going to take it. I'm, I'd accept it. <laughs> I know it's it's not hard. It's hard to root against your team, but uh, I think this could be a really, really fun team in March if they get that opportunity. Yes, yeah, so certainly. I mean, I think Todd Golden does a great job. Obviously, Bouye is incredible. And, you know, they did a nice job in the portal this spring of, of filling holes, right? They knew what they had with, with Bouye and Shabazz and they went out and got a third guard who could really score at Stefanini. And what they really needed was to beef up the front court to hang in with the Gonzaga, to hang in with the BYU. And, you know, just go get Masalki, who's been tremendous. Uh, I, I was, I've been surprised how good he's been. Tepe's been a little bit disappointing, but he's a big body. You could throw people and certainly battle-tested. You know, they're, they're deeper up there. So I think that's helped them tremendously. They're a great team. I would not want to see them in March. I hope I hope they can find their way into the field without a doubt. Kevin, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show, to talk, talk Zags, talk Texas Tech, talk a little bit. WCC. If you're listening to this and you want to give him a follow, you can find him at CBB underscore central on Twitter. Kevin, thanks again. Thanks, Andy. All right. That is going to do it for today and for this week. We got a really fun game coming up on Saturday morning. We're going to talk all about it next week. All right here, Locked on Zags, available wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you all for listening and go Zags.